Bring me your tired, your stressed, your overwhelmed and anxious, yearning for some joy in life. It's time to go out and play. to Playgrounding. This is Kara Stewart-Fortier. Let me just start by saying that this has been a very strange time to start this podcast back up again. I wrestled with it, with whether or not to even post an episode this week, given the gravity of what's happening right now. But see, I had intended Playgrounding as I restarted it to be as much about grounding as it is about play. Um, as I begin my studies to become a chaplain, I, an interfaith chaplain, I should say, I wanted to bring spirituality in, um, not any particular kind, but to include it in the conversations that we have here on Playgrounding. So because of that, I decided to move forward with publishing this interview because of the gravity of what's happening in the United States right now. Leslie Foster, he's an artist and an experimental filmmaker. His films are usually seen in a very specific installation type space, um, but he's making them available to us, especially his most recent right now um, online, because they are so relevant to the time we're living in. His work challenges us to move deeper into hard conversations, which is, which is exactly what we need right now. And he does that by reintroducing us to ritual. Um, ritual, it's deeply embedded into what it means to be human, just as play is. And while ritual plays a very different role from play, I believe that it comes from the same place that play does and affects us just as deeply. In his most recent installation, Heavenly Brown Body, it's based on a haunting poem by the late Mark Aguirre called Litanies to My Heavenly Brown Body. Now we'll touch on the poem, um, but we won't read it here in its entirety. Uh, the first time you read it, I guarantee you will have a very visceral response. Now it does have um, explicit language, but it can't not have explicit language. You'll understand when you read it. Um, I felt like it would do a disservice to the poem and to this piece to read it on the podcast, not because of the explicit language, just because I really feel like it's something you need to deal with one-on-one -on -one or yeah, with by yourself or with a loved one, with someone you can have a conversation with about this, um, not in a one-way kind of conversation like you're having here with a with a podcast episode. Um, but what we hope you'll do after you hear this episode, or just right now, just go, <laughs> just go straight there, is to go to the show notes, playgrounding.com slash 49, click on the link to view Leslie's work for yourself, which includes a full reading of Mark's poem. Now, Leslie Foster, he's a 2006 graduate of Southern Adventist University. He has a BS in film production and a BA in international studies. Leslie's aesthetic sensibility comes from a childhood spent growing up in Southeast Asia, straddling multiple Asian cultures and his own American roots. His work, which has been internationally exhibited and includes two solo shows, quietly subverts existing power dynamics while inviting viewers into challenging dialogues through the beautifully strange. Leslie currently serves as the director of art residency for Level Ground and fantasizes about running away with a seafaring band of nomadic artists. And now, here's Leslie. Leslie. 
when we talked about doing this interview, we had no idea all the stuff that was going to be happening just right. oh, the day of. But just this past Friday, you sent an email out. You, you've, you've been working on this project for several years. You finished it. Um, it was yeah. I saw the exhibition. It was so beautiful. Um, can you talk a little bit about it? Because I, I, I want to talk about everything, including um, the poem it's based on everything. I want to, yeah, like, if you're absolutely. okay with that. Yeah, and I have to give a shout out to your husband who really mm -hmm. helped me with the projection mapping for the museum installation. Um, so yeah, um, Litanies in My Heavenly Brown Body is a poem written by uh, Mark Aguhar, and she was a poet who lived in Chicago. She was doing her MFA at Northwestern, I believe, mm -hmm. um, when she wrote the poem around 2012, 2013, which is around the same time I saw it floating around Tumblr, kind of in that heyday of Tumblr. Um, and it really grabbed me. The poem is really fascinating. Um, what's interesting is you almost only ever see the second stanza of Whitney's to my heavenly brown body, never mm -hmm. the first stanza, which I think is interesting. So for years, I just read that second stanza thinking it was the entire poem um, and was like, I really want to create something with this. So the second stanza is based on the Beatitudes. Um, but what um, Mark has done in her writing of this is that she queers it. And it's interesting because like I, I've kind of wavered between these two things. Like one could say that she's taking this kind of religious um, text and subverting it. But I almost wonder if she's finding the underlying subversion that was already there oh, and yeah. bringing it up. I agree. Um, and, and Beatitudes, just to sort of go back for someone who doesn't under, know what that is, um, have you ever heard someone say, blessed are the peacemakers for they um, for they will inherit the earth? Blessed, I'm sorry, the blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are the peacemakers. This is all part of a, the Sermon on the Mount from Jesus in the book of Matthew, kind of pretty well known um, as far as, you know, you'll hear it in pop culture a lot, that kind of thing. Um, anyway. Yeah. So in, you know, my heavenly brown body, instead, it you know, it's blessed are the boy dykes, blessed are, you know, the trans folks, blessed are the, and it goes on this way. Um, blessed are the people of color, my beloved kith and kin. And it's really gorgeous. And, um, and I've definitely read it in settings where it's definitely upset people, which I appreciate mm -hmm. actually. Yeah. <laughs> um, if your art isn't upsetting somebody, um, I think you need to push harder. <laughs> so I was, you know, I, I had all kinds of dreams for this. And this is, I think, great evidence uh, for not doing a project right when you get the idea all the time. Because mm. I think my original idea was just people against like a white background, like reciting parts of the poem, <laughs> which <laughs> when you look at the final project, it's very different. Um, and then, you know, I just didn't have the means. And honestly, I was a little nervous because I, I was never able to find... Um, Mark's estate. Mark uh, died shortly after she wrote the poem and mm. I was never able to find family or friends or whatever. And so I was just like, I don't know if this is something I should do. I'm just going to put it aside. Um, as like the idea kept developing kind of at the back of my head, I found the rest of the poem. There's a first stanza. Yeah. And the first stanza is based on, because um, she really is exploring like using kind of um, scripture um, as, a, as a starting point. She's using um, this idea of imprecatory prayer. And if you're not familiar, these are prayers of cursing and often like prayers from people who are being oppressed. Because I'm being oppressed and this is um, my prayer that my oppressors are like, see the pain, have pain done to them. Um, they're pretty intense poems um, uh, and psalms. 
And so she takes that and like, it's, it's much less gentle than the second part. If the second part upsets some people, the first part upsets a whole lot of other people. It starts, fuck your whiteness, fuck your chest hair, fuck your, and it goes through these things. And it's, and in the balance of the two, it feels like the first part is this kind of cleansing, this kind of um, fighting back against the power systems, but you don't stay there. You move on to this kind of pulling in of queer folk and this this blessing, which is really beautiful. So you go from kind of this cleansing, this dispelling to this blessing. And mm-hmm. I think you have to have both pieces in balance. And Absolutely. It's like, in hindsight, I'm really frustrated that the second part of the poem gets passed around without the first because you really do need those two pieces of it. Well, it is based uh, on scripture, and that's what people love to do the most. <laughs> <laughs> What's so interesting is that um, I believe, I, well, I saw a piece that was in the Brooklyn Museum, and the Brooklyn Museum does some really great kind of activist work and art. But it's interesting that they only had the second half of the poem. And I was like, there again. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if like the research wasn't done or they just decided to eliminate the first part because it was uncomfortable. I don't know. I'm not going to make those guesses. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I think you need both halves. So last year I ended up in an art residency at the Torrance Art Museum. And I'd already been working at this point on making this project a lived reality. Um something that would happen in installation space. As an artist, my practice is to create experimental film and then place them into installations. And I, part of this is that I think there's something to be said about taking over institutional space and sort of subverting that spatially. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's a place for experimental film that's just projected onto a wall or in a little dark room. But I also think we should be doing more in a lot of instances and creating entire little worlds that people can step into. And so in my art practice, I'm trying to do that a lot. And mm-hmm. I had the chance to do this for this residency and it just kind of fit perfectly. I was already working on the project and sort of pulling a crew together. Um, this incredible cinematographer from Canada, Avery Holiday, had reached out to me um, several years back on Instagram. And so we'd been talking and we felt like this was the perfect project. Avery's done ads for the Olympics. It's just, uh, they're incredible. And so mm-hmm. I was really excited to work with them on this project. So we were pulling a crew together, um, and then the idea was to have the film finished and then um, place it in an installation, and the installation would be four screens. There would be a different image on each screen, so we had to shoot this in a really interesting way, and each screen would complement each other. But the person in the installation probably wouldn't be able to see all the screens at once. You're kind of moving and having to pick your own experience. Um, And yeah, we went from there. So what ended up happening is we had an installation once the film was done in late spring, um, I started working on the installation build and created three 14 foot high, um, I think 24 foot long curtains. This is ridiculous to create kind of a spiral chamber that was hung from the ceiling of the museum. Um, and it was incredibly difficult setup in so many ways. We got it done. Um, and you entered the space into the spiral we covered the ground in um, in crushed cedar, um, rosemary, wild rosemary, and moss to kind of pull you with smell, with sight, with texture into this different world. So you stepped in, and the center, there's a little leather ottoman and headphones, and you could sit there, and you could watch the four screens. Um, yeah, and I've, you know, I've done a lot of projects that I'm really 
proud of, but this was like the most expansive one I've done so far. It was it's really large, beautiful. really took up space in that museum. And yeah, it was a lot of fun to do. Thank you. Um, <laughs> so yeah, that's kind of the overview about Heavenly Brown Body. Um, and I use the words of the poem as this kind of queer liturgy. Um, so we have three cast members, um, Taz, Jade, and Irene, and the three of them, um, we broke up the poem and gave each of them pieces and they kind of use it as a ritual. Um, and the art world's less picky about this. Um, you know, like I see a lot of experimental filmmakers sharing work and it's not a big deal, but just because I was setting up for a festival run, I am setting up for a festival run. I haven't submitted to Outfest and a few other places. Festivals get really picky with where your film is and is being shown. So I've had it private and generally my practice is to keep, a project private online though if anybody asks i'm happy to share it and i make that pretty clear like i'll always send the link to you but i just have it on private for at least the first two years because of the chance of getting into festivals mm-hmm. um, but when the protest started um after yet another killing i was just like i think this is the thing to share i think it's a a difficult ritual for a difficult time and um i just want to make it public and you know film festivals be damned yeah um Absolutely. Well, and this, can you talk a little bit? I mean, I I don't want to go through the whole poem in the sense that I want people to experience it as a ritual, the way that you intended it in your piece to go see it. Um, the, we'll have the links on the show notes, but how did you intend this as ritual? I mean, there's the, the first piece of this is so, it is so jarring, um, but also... <laughs> We, we've we've grown used to sort of this Old Testament language that you can kind of chalk up to like olden times and oldie stuff, you know, cursed be the blah, 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 cursed be the, well, no, it's, it's fuck your, fuck your muscles, fuck your thinness, you know, it's, it's that kind of thing. Yeah. And it's the same exact thing. Um, so yeah, but right now I feel like it, the thing I was feeling yesterday, sort of watching the news and everything, I, I feel like we're, we're bumping up against this this feeling that we have to go back to the normal way of dealing with these things, which is to talk about being peaceful, to talk about everybody calming down. Um, And then on the other side, people saying enough, enough, it's been enough. And it's like, look at this pain, look into these, look at this, look at what has been created here. And it's, that's the hardest part, I think, for a lot of people to look at what's going on instead of just condemning, you know, to focus on, destruction and all these kinds of things like no look into this pain look at what's yeah. been created here yeah absolutely and let me tell you like in shooting that first section it was incredibly difficult like the cast was in tears multiple times and like when i work with cast you know i really do try to make them collaborators like they are artists as well we're all working on this together um and, you know, I said, you know, if you, if it's ever too much, you just let me know and we'll send the crew out and we'll just like recover. And we had to do that once, um, just like send everybody else out of the room. And we just sat there for a while with it. Um, and we also knew that there was only a limited amount of takes we could do with that because it was so heavy. Like those were like each of those actors has been impacted in some way by those words, um, by the people on the other end of those. And so it was really like felt, um, yeah, but I mean, it is this, this, I think we, in so many cultures, uh, I think it can be a very human thing to really want to shy away from the difficult things, from pain that is caused. 
And so this first part really is a challenge. It is, it is, it is um, an uncomfortable thing. And the way we even shot it was that, you know, it, it's kind of if, if a shoe fits, but if you're indicted by these things, I need you to sit there and listen to it and deal yeah. with the fact that you're indicted by this. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the second part is a pulling in. It's, it's shot to feel like a circle. It's shot to feel welcoming. And again, that may not apply to everybody. There's somebody who may not be part of that welcome circle. And that's fine. They can watch that joy mm-hmm. and learn from it and, you know, be edified by it. For people who are, for the trans folks, for all the various queer folks, for the people of color, for black folks, they're pulled into that space mm-hmm. um, and that welcome. And so, again, that balance was really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then just this week, you know, within the last two weeks, what, Breonna Taylor, Tony McDade, Ahmad Arbery, and George Floyd, all people... Um, killed by police. And so it felt like this is the time, um, police or, well, I guess Ahmad wasn't killed by police, but you know, um, by folks, you know, who were vigilantes and very, very cozy with the justice system. Very, very cozy with the justice system. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it felt like we actually do need to look at this thing. Mm -hmm. Um, um, we need to confront it and then also have that side of healing to it because like, I don't, want to make easy work, but I do want to make work that is utopian in nature that points towards better futures that builds better futures. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think sometimes people think that's like really light, fluffy work. And I don't, I think it's hard. Um, it's artwork that is difficult, but that also points towards something beyond mm-hmm. uh, challenges and then shows other worlds are possible. Yeah. I mean, the, the complications that make our world so not utopian are so are yeah. so difficult that there's no way that yeah. someone could make a piece of art about moving our society into a more utopian space without being difficult in itself. Like it's hard to fix these problems or we would have done it already. Um, and when you say indicted, it is, it is really, when I sat in there, I mean, I, I am not a person of color and I saw fuck your whiteness and I was like, <gasps> you know, but you know, I, I know your work too. And I, you know, I, I already know your heart. And so I know that if you're making a piece like this with this, but really fuck my whiteness. I, it, the, the whole thing with privilege, I know people start rolling their eyes when they're not a part of, of communities that use that word all the time. And I'm tangentially related to people in those kinds of communities. It's hard to be indicted. It's hard to feel, yes, you know? And so when I saw a picture of police kneeling outside of their station in South Florida, um, I was really like, okay, the police are being indicted right now. They're being called yeah. out and it's hard. It, it is. I, I mean, I'm called out by this project. Like <laughs> there's a lot of things here that apply to me and in ways that I am oppressive and have to be called out. And like, yeah, like I'll be honest, like there is a lot of times where I thought maybe I'll just cut out this first section. And then my little reaction was like, fuck you. Oh. <laughs> like, <laughs> right. Like yep, you yep. are now like you need to be indicted. You need to sit with this as well. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. And that's not easy at all. Um, yeah, but like one of the things I'm interested in also having these like spaces, like creating little bubble spaces is that I think it pulls you into this alternative universe and it really does something when you're in a space where smell and sound Mm -hmm. and sight are very different than they were like three seconds ago before you entered. Um, it really does pull you into a different space. It transports you and it allows you to think, I think 
in a broader way about well, what is possible. Yeah. And so on that, can you tell me a little bit about ritual? Like, why is that so important in your work? And what is that for you? Yeah, I mean, oh. <laughs> this is, I mean, like, I mean, so many rabbit holes here. I yeah, love right? ritual. Yeah. I've always loved ritual. Mm -hmm. um, I was always a witchy little kid. <laughs> so I think it has a lot to do with that. Um, wait, 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 what is a that, witchy little kid? I like, like I mean, I just, I was really interested in like paganism and witchcraft and all mm -hmm. these kinds of, and like, and just ritual in general, druids and ritual yeah. and like uh, the range of kind of spiritual experiences. And like, yeah. so meaningful ritual. I think there's ritual that becomes habitual and meaningless until you have to break up the flow and figure it out. And I think all ritual is at risk of that. Mm -hmm. Um, but I really love the role of ritual in life, the way it centers and grounds you, the way it can like be mystical. I consider myself absolutely a mystic, um, someone who has experiences with the spiritual and really doesn't have words for them. I don't often have words for that experience. Um, and I'm okay with that. Mm -hmm. But what I've discovered and I discovered as I like, as I became an artist or I found a language for my art, I should say. Mm -hmm. I didn't know what my medium was for a long time. And when I found experimental film, I realized this was my medium. And when I found it, I realized that was a language with which I could describe these mystical experiences, not certainly with words and not in any way that I can kind of quantify for somebody, but maybe you can sit in that space with me and have a similar experience. Mm -hmm. um, you know, maybe you can have the experience that I have, like having been at Burning Man at the temple in the middle of the dust and the sun's coming up and that experience. And like, I can't, you know, transport you to that, but maybe in the art that I create, I can share that feeling with you. Yes. Yes. And that's one of the things if, you know, if rituals in, in churches and cathedrals and whatever, whatever kind of home house of worship, say home of worship, um, I guess that is appropriate. Um, however, whatever spiritual background you come from, smells, sights. I mean, the, the idea of building a beautiful place in which to worship, um, a temple, right. um, there's your site there, like, you know, incense is commonly used, that kind of thing. Um, so, I mean, what you are doing are kind of creating to, to oversimplify it, of course, um, is just this, it's similar to in the most elementary sense, those, those kinds of rituals that we're used to that I think in a lot of ways have right. become rote. Um, but what you're doing is just bringing those kinds of elements and then throwing something in from left field. And that's and that's what I love so much. I walked in to your piece and I smelled the smells. I saw the beautiful imagery and the and the humans, the, all the, the cast, this just these amazing people. <laughs> and then I heard the words and I knew like, oh, oh. Like, I'm going to have to sit with this because, yeah, I mean, it was because it, it's a commitment to walk into that space. People can't just <laughs> is, walk yeah. by it and be like, oh, there's a painting with the boat and the blah, blah, blah. Let me walk, walk. You don't just like avert your eyes to the next thing because you're you're in this space and you have to look at yeah. it and you have to hear it. it. That's right. It, this brought up two things for me. I mean, the first is like, so I um, I was raised Seventh-day Adventist. My parents taught in Adventist universities in Southeast Asia. Um, they still live in Thailand now. And I remember in Indonesia, the way Indonesians would do communion services is that they would um, do that around like 10 p.m. to midnight, which is really interesting. Huh. Um, and it was just its own kind of special thing. And I remember as a kid, 
because of ritual, because of loving ritual, like making sure that I went to bed early so that I could like my dad could wake me up and take me at like 10 p.m. so I could experience that oh, wow. with my dad and my mom because that like I just love ritual so much. Oh. The other thing that I was thinking about is that one of the things my first solo show was called Ritual Cycle and it's five yes. rituals. Oh, my favorite. Um, <laughs> and the thing about um, those rituals and generally when I'm trying to create rituals is that I'm trying to create things that you haven't seen before. So that feel a little familiar, but aren't going to necessarily hit those boundaries of like, Oh God, this feels a little too much of what I experienced, like in the mosque that I grew up in or the temple or the church or wherever. Like I want to get far enough away from that. So it needs to feel alien, Mm -hmm. but familiar and kind of that balance. And that's always an interesting balance to walk. Um, when I talk about my art practice and kind of, you know, my, um, my artist statement language, I say that I'm, um, I'm exploring queer and black futurity through a lens of dream logic. Um, And what that ends up looking like is this kind of collision of, of mysticism, of just strangeness and surreality and of sensuality. Um, I think all that comes together and then queerness being that kind of bubble in which this all mix. Um, so I think you're kind of playing in all those fields and it's really interesting to see what kind of emerges from those three things kind of colliding at the center. Wow. Wow. Um, and I, and at this point when it comes down to it, you really just have to see it. Um, it's, it's just, and it's so, it's something that I would suggest if I might, that if you do go to the show notes and click on it and, but just kind of maybe make sure you're in a place, number number one, that you can have sound. Make sure you have your headphones on, something like that. But also just have a few minutes where you don't have to do anything, see anyone. Don't do it while you're jogging or, or you know, <laughs> don't, don't do it in between commercials while you're watching TV or something. This is something that you can create your own ritual out of it. And especially if you're struggling right. with things that are happening on TV right now. Um, Absolutely. Because I think that one of the hardest parts of all of this is that you can't really, really approach someone with compassion if you're holding on to all kinds of self-hatred and all kinds of emotions that you haven't dealt with in yourself first. And we talk about that on Playgrounding quite a bit more than I think probably people are like, well, this is supposed to be about play. Why, am, why is she still talking about emotions? <laughs> but it's like, as I have experienced in my own life, I have had a hard time, especially when I was really thrust into the throes of, of this complex PTSD thing where I was super self-centered. I was super just like, what is happening to me? Why is this happening? Why do I feel this way? I want to feel better. I mean, my whole focus was in this off thing. And as soon as I started to really like do the work to get quote unquote better, I mean, I'm on a better path now. I'm not perfect, but, um, it became easier again. And I can, and I've been listening to Michael Kurosawa. Um, he's, his music was used in on it's kind of ironically I got I introduced to him through a TV show about a bunch of rich white women on HBO. It was on Big Little Lies. Um, but when I first heard his music, I was sort of associating it with my own pain. This was several years ago. And then I listened to it again yesterday. I had a long drive ahead of me and I just thought I really want to hear his voice right now, you know, because and I really heard the stories of his difficulty being a as one of his songs called I'm a black man in a white world I was I I then heard the rest of that album going 
this is not about me. I need to shut up. <laughs> I need to like I'm during that time when I was in so much pain that I was preoccupied by all that pain. That was all I heard. And when I heard him yesterday, I was like, oh, my heart just was breaking with all these songs. I was like, good grief, and especially in the context of right now. But that's the hardest yeah. part is the ritual of of sitting down and putting your own pain to the side long enough to really listen to the voices that are crying out and they're crying out right now. That's so true. I, uh, one of the things, so I get to mentor students at my alma mater Mm -hmm. and I love doing that. I go back once a year to do like three or four days of workshops with a bunch of my other um, art alumni. Mm -hmm. But, um, one of the things that I tell the fine art kids and the film kids that I mentor is that, um, not every project is yours to do. Mm. You absolutely have a right to do it, but should you be doing it? And you need to ask that question. You know, there are some projects where you need to say, I'm not right for this and walk away. Like there is somebody who should be telling the story and that's not me. There's somebody who should be painting this or creating this installation. And again, that's not me. Mm-hmm. And like, it's not easy. It's difficult. I've certainly misstepped. <laughs> <laughs> and it's about figuring out like, you know, learning from that and then going next time I need to know that this is not for me to step into. This is for somebody else. Yeah. So this is really beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing all of this. If Do you, do you have anything you want to share to sort of like that we haven't said any personal ideas about where we are in time and what you think might happen, hopefully, or? I, you know, I, I don't know. It's very hmm. interesting. I mean, first with quarantine, I think quarantine felt like this weird, like fog settled where it became very hard to think about like what happens next. Mm-hmm. Um, like for me, the one anchor in my life is that I'm going to grad school um, at UCLA for an experimental film program. I started that in October. Yay. Um, experimental art in general, I'm going to focus on experimental film, of course, but I, you know, that's like, it's sort of an anchor. It's that thing, but everything is very murky. And I think this just adds to it. Like on a day-to-day basis, we really don't know what's coming and yeah. it, it's, you know, it's scary. And I think you need to acknowledge the scariness of that. It's so interesting because, um, <laughs> I, Oh, okay. So I just have to back up. Um, to me, even though like a lot of my art is visual, like I'm definitely a visual artist. My first love is writing. Mm-hmm. Um, writing short stories, writing poetry. I love that. And like a lot of what I do, I feel like is visual poetry. Um, but I haven't written, written, especially fiction in a very long time. And about four or five years ago, I had this idea for a graphic novel. Um, and then January this year, I woke up and I was like, oh no, it's an anthology novel. I mean, maybe one day it's a graphic novel. It should be an anthology novel. And like in that day, I outlined like 36 chapters or 36 segments of this anthology novel. And then started just kind of writing it slowly, planning to end like a, finish it at the end of the year and then picked up speed a little bit and then quarantine happened and I finished it <laughs> by like in March. So it's interesting. I have a, you know, a first draft of a novel now, which is a that's, thing I never thought I would say, that's awesome. but it's about, it's about what it would look like to have a better American, American utopia, but what it takes to get through there. Oof. Like it, you know, it starts within a second civil war and then it moves into what a new country, a country split off, from some of those roots, a country that's led by indigenous and black folks, mm-hmm. um, by people of color, what that looks like. Um, and so it was a chance to dream, but also I had to wade through like what it takes to get to that dream. And that was, that's again, that kind of dark, but we're heading towards something. And it kind of pivots like at the halfway point, you start moving out of that, like that difficulty into like, here's what this looked like. And like, you know, I did world building for four years for this. So like, you know, Here's what a constitution would look like. Here's what this would, and it was just a lot of fun creating that. Um, 
for any book agents out there. Yeah, I'm just saying. exactly. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean, it, to me, like, it felt like it was so interesting writing it now because it felt like, wow, like, I, this feels really weirdly timely. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting that, like, it was in January where I just, like, everything kind of clicked in my brain. I Like, for me, my creative process is often about planting seeds mm-hmm. and knowing what kind of seeds they are. Like, I'll get an idea. Often it's incredibly visual. Um... And in that image, it's usually a single image. I know the entire idea is wrapped in that image, like a seed. Um, And the mistake I made as a kid was to take that and then like hammer it, (laughs) expecting like there to be a little tree inside. And essentially you just have acorn dust. You just hammered the acorn. And like what I had to do was go, you know, is this a dandelion seed? Okay. Then I just blow it over there. And like in a few days I can like work on that idea. Or is it an oak? And I have to plant that acorn and wait for years. A lot of times that's the idea with, this anthology novel, Dreamwalkers, it was that way with um, Heavenly Brown Body. Years and years of just processing this idea before it kind of came to fruition. So that's been really helpful in my journey of figuring out like what an idea is and how to respond to it, what to feed it. Wow. Wow. Oh, my goodness. That that what you just said about the seeds and different types of seeds. I've never heard it put that way before, but it's absolutely I've experienced that. And wow, you just completely gave me something new to, to hold on to there. Thank you. That's actually what I, that's you. That's just what you, that's just what you do. Oh, thank you. Oh man. Well, I don't even know how to end this or yeah, I just, I just really have, I remember watching the, the, the space shuttle. It's not the space shuttle, the dragon being launched yesterday. And just while I was watching it go up, 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 up in the middle of everything. Cause I was still, I hadn't slept at all then two nights ago. Right. I couldn't sleep at all. And so I was a mess and I was yeah. getting ready to, to go help my parents with some things. I had a long drive ahead of me and I just got this little rush of hope watching it go up in the air, like thinking of yeah. it as like, is this like the, the, I don't know how else to say it. Is this the flare that we're sending up to somehow like reminder? Like I know that I'm imbuing it with all this meaning that but that's how I felt looking at it in that moment. I'm like, we are. I mean, I think we get, we have that feeling with space though. And I mm-hmm. get it. It's this, it's this broader beyond people who come back from space talk about the perspective that they have. Yeah. And we, so no, yeah. it absolutely makes sense. And we need some, we needed a win. Like I just remember sitting there watching it go up. I'm like, give us a win. Can we please have something good? Yeah. You know, <laughs> please don't yeah. let it, let there be another disaster. But so, but. Right. No, I was up at seven this morning baking and watching it dock. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. I got up and my husband was doing the same thing, but <laughs> well, it's, it's just been an amazingly fascinating time to be alive not necessarily a good one but I'm just hoping that the next generation will look back at what is happening right now and say I'm so glad they did whatever is about to happen I'm so glad this change happened (laughs) that's right I think our job is uh, especially as artists as creatives is to provide building blocks for the next generation so that they they are further along Mm -hmm. like I I don't ever want to see a generation slide backwards again. I mean, it's, I, it probably is inevitable, but like my goal is to keep creating building blocks and hopefully in my work, that's what's happening. Yeah. And as you do, and like, as I said, you know, if, as you watch this, as you watch his piece, just remember that what you're feeling when, what you would feel when you see people say the things they're saying on TV, um, into a news cameras, if, if, if a black person is standing there telling you something, we need 
from the street with their sign. I, I had one where the girl kind of looked over and she looked into the camera. She stopped looking at the at the person holding the microphone and she looked into the camera. And I don't even remember exactly what she said, but I just felt like she was looking into my soul and it it hurt. And yeah. guilt will come. All these feelings will come. But that's not the end of it. It's like that feeling when you feel like if you start crying, you're never going to stop crying. Well, if you look into those that for, for me in this situation, if you look into her eyes and you let it sink into you, if you let it pass through you, the feelings of being indicted are not the end. They're the beginning of a new way of processing all of the stuff that's going on. We have to get through this process first. And yeah. you have to be able to get yeah. to the point where you can read all of litanies of my heavenly brown body, first part and the yeah. second part before we can get to the blessed R's and the blessed. Yeah. 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 Oh, anyway, sorry. I'm just, this is so. <laughs> no, I, that, that resonates. so deeply. <laughs> Thank you, Leslie. I really appreciate you taking the time with us today. Absolutely. Yeah. And if people want to check out my work, they can go to lesliefoster.art. Um, and then I have a Patreon, which is patreon.com slash lesliefoster. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you'll go watch his film, Heavenly Brown Body, linked to in the show notes at playgrounding.com slash 49. You'll hear more from Leslie next week in a short segment about his amazing alcohol-free cocktails. We were going to include it as part of this conversation, but I'm sure you can see why I let this conversation stand on its own. Stay healthy out there and stay brave. See you next week.